0: From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer.
1: And I'm Marisa Lagos. Today on The Breakdown, hopefully, perhaps the funniest guest we've ever had on this show, a man who regularly uses his sense of humor to skewer political opponents.
0: That could only be one person Tom Ammiano. He spent six years in the state assembly, and way before that, he became the first openly gay member of the San Francisco Board of uh, school board, I should say. Later, giving Willie Brown a run for his money with a write-in campaign for mayor before heading to Sacramento. And his new book is titled, wait for it, Kiss My Gay Ass. Tom Amiano, welcome <laughs> to Political <laughs> Breakdown. Good to have you. How are you? Happy Festivus. Yes, happy Fest. Last day of Hanukkah. Last day of Hanukkah. That's
2: right, that's right. The last candle lit.
0: Well, speaking of candles, uh, you had your 79th birthday this uh, week. You turned uh, 79. And how old is that? It it happens. How old is that in gay years?
2: Oh, at least 110. I think, uh, well, I tried to fake my own death, you know, but that didn't work. So for insurance purposes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Did you do anything?
2: uh, Well, a a good friend of ours uh, sent us uh, a meal over from a restaurant of choice and uh, we like poesia uh, it's in the castro district oh yeah it's very nice, nice.
0: yeah they've got a nice backyard nice. yeah so, so, guess... uh, no,
2: no cooking no cleanup thank you very much no contact you know
0: so, so one upside to being 79 i guess is that you're going to be like first in line for the vaccine
2: one would hope so uh we hope it doesn't get too political uh you know the distribution is always going to be uh, be the challenge so I got my fingers crossed, either that or at my age, I could sneak into a uh, assisted living, no one would know. And then I'd
1: <laughs> Get the job in you know, there.
2: Have and a meal the- or two. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: love green yellow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Tom, we both just read your book and um, we've both covered you, your political career for a long time. But we want to go way back, way back in time to New Jersey, where you were born um, into a very um, a poverty stricken family. Honestly, you guys did not have a lot Um and you talk about in the book feeling like you mostly were raised by nuns and priests at Catholic school because your parents were working or otherwise uh, involved. I mean, it's not like a kind of rough go of a childhood.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, though, uh, I mean, first of all, I think people have had it worse, which you learn, you know, as you grow. But um, I did always manage to have a good imagination and a sense of self. I think I got that from the family. So, um I don't know how to say this, you just, you accommodate yourself to whatever the environment is so you can survive and maybe challenge it a little. You know, I did make some very good friends, Uh, but the thing that really motivated me was the aspiration that I eventually will get the hell out of here, (laughs) which I did, uh, you know, when I was about 18 or 19 and that felt great.
0: Tell us about your family, Tom, because I think your dad was a cab driver. Your mom, I think you said, worked for the phone company um, and and neither one, I think, had good health care. I mean,
2: it was it was really uh, they struggled. I know. And, you know, the sad thing about it is is the uh, the sense of resignation. You know, th- well, this is how it is. You know, uh, um, they were married uh, uh, very young. She was 17 and he was 19 uh, and but again, there's uh, nothing um, unusual about that in that time, you know, and uh, they, they struggled a lot uh, financially, uh, and he died very young. Um, He he was only 57, and some of that happened because of no medic, you know, no, no, no health care, and a little bit the attitude of uh, working class men in, in those days was, you know, I don't need a doctor, you know that. So there was, right. you know, even though it was minimal, it it it, it was ignored. And I, I got to give uh, my mother credit; she's very compat- you a know, very compat- combative woman, and uh, we always fought because we were a lot of light. Well, that's a big <laughs> surprise, Doctor Phil. <laughs> well, you I mean I never wore her dresses, but I did wear. <laughs> I did wear her emotional baggage, if I may, with matching well, But let's
1: talk about that, because it seems like you knew from a very young age that you were gay. You were bullied for it. Um, I, you talk in the book about sending Valentines in, in first grade to other oh, boys. Can yeah. you just talk about, I mean, when when did you sort of become aware of this part of yourself? And, and it seems like you just intuitively knew in that day and age to really um, try to keep it to yourself as much as you could.
2: Yeah, but, um, you know, a lot of it is uh, uh, cosmetic. And so how one speaks or uses one's hands or and one's interest when you're a kid, not necessarily Barbie, you know, um, all those things were um, had to be dealt with in one way or another. And mostly if you try to keep changing, you'd be exhausted. So, I, you know, I just let it rip, you know, uh, and uh, got a lot of pushback about that yeah well I, you, think, and- I think every you know a queer person out there knows what that you know with me you by my appearance and how i presented it led to people's opinion about my sexual uh uh orientation but uh for me it was just something that had been there and was natural and uh
0: well, one of the stories you How tell, in, one of the stories you tell in the book is uh, you, you were not a particularly athletic kid, but you tried out for track and you did yeah. really well. In fact, you did so well that you qualified for a varsity letter.
2: Can you believe it?
0: And then they managed to figure out a way to take it away from you. Tell, tell us that story.
2: Yeah. Well, when I qualified for a letter, you know, for all the toxic masculinity that's in sports, it seemed to me that the uh, jock athletes were screaming and renting their flesh and crying because I was entitled to a letter and um, what happened is well this sounds very trumpian they they with the uh, qualifying number and they conveniently eradicated the meat that I went to that would have put me over the top so then they, they manipulated it so that I didn't get I didn't get the letter and um, you know those things still hurt even a hundred years later but uh it also gives you uh the idea that you know you're gonna get beyond that and uh, okay bring it you know what i mm-hmm. mean toughens uh, you up yeah well i know there there is a great meme about i'm i'm tired of things uh, being hard so i can be stronger <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah right <laughs>
2: yeah tired of the things i that make me stronger um uh, yeah but that, that play that that did play into it and you know the east coast is an interesting interesting planet you know <laughs> especially jersey yeah yeah and, and uh the one thing i did find out especially as i moved around is uh people are very threatened by uh, smart working class people you know it's a whole you know uh when you when you think about it and um I mean, I did, not that I'm, I'm that smart, but I, I did encounter that, you know. As a teacher, I saw it. Yeah. The expectations are low. Yeah. You know? and, well, and when you're a teacher, you can't have low expectations of your kid.
1: Well, I mean, there's so much here. I mean, you, you, you know, the fact that you were gay growing up uh, at that time where you were um, – the Catholicism, the poverty, but it seems like you always had this very keen sense of not just wanting to get the heck out of New Jersey, but of justice, of like what was fair in life. And I know one of the kind of meal tickets out ended up being teaching um, at these camps in the summer um, and with, with I think, mostly disabled kids. And and you Uh ended up parlaying that into jobs in San Francisco. Was that something you were attracted to because of Kind of being the underdog, or just
2: because you, you wanted to get so. out. I think that that's very astute. Yeah, um, you know, you, you, you got to look at what what you got, and maybe maybe not consciously, and then figure out how uh, you know how you can bend it to your will or or what you need. So that definitely the uh, uh, camp Ed, uh, which is now famous for Crip Camp, and if you haven't seen Crip Camp, oh, I would really advise yeah. it. It's quite wonderful, and very moving, and you'll get angry. Uh, uh, that that was Leah. Let me go somewhere where my kind of difference isn't going to stick out. And uh, also, believe it or not, it was a sense of adventure. It was only going to the Catskills. So if you're familiar with the <laughs> geography, it was like, I was going, oh my God, I'm going to Paris. I don't know, get, getting the hell out of it. My mother a wore a felt. black dress when I left for camp. She never, uh, and it was a transformative, you know, <laughs> my judgment and instinct was good. Yeah. She wore a black dress because she was
1: mourning your departure? Yes, because I was leaving.
2: <laughs> so you uh, you ended up
0: in San Francisco. You took a, a Greyhound bus out here <laughs> yes. in 1962. and. Uh, we won't give it away because we can't on the radio but the first sentence of your book yes makes, well makes a reference to that first time uh, that you arrived at the bus station but um you know the city the city was very different back then we had a Republican mayor George Christopher uh, what was it like you know tell us what it was in, in terms of like how did it compare to what you expected what you were hoping for
2: well you know I always have this joke that people tell me I say too much and it's probably generational now but I said you know it's like, who's your favorite Menendez brother? So either, either stay in New Jersey and get beat up and do a very unlikely career path for me or a life path for me. And this cold, damp—I thought it was unfriendly, boring place. <laughs> and then, what is that noise? Oh, it's the foghorn. What? What is a foghorn? <laughs> <laughs> And then I, you go for into the P three, and you go. Oh, I want a slice. I beg your pardon. We don't do slices. This is California. Good. Yeah. Um, so those adjustments were interesting. Also, uh, I was so young, and uh, the high voice and the wrists. I found people just like looked at me, very seldom listened to me, and I couldn't figure out. <laughs> oh, what is it? Showstopper. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see. Did I smile <laughs> yet? Yeah. Um, but you know the key is always making friends, uh, and I did eventually. And uh, of course, the the whole gay movement was burgeoning, um, and uh, so you started to have that uh, extended family feeling. You know, uh, other gay men that you would meet uh, who probably you you wouldn't have met if you stayed in, in Jersey or Oshkosh or wherever. So.
1: So, OK, wait, before we get into all the political stuff, which we want to dive into before you really got involved in that movement, you went to Vietnam, but you were not drafted. No. You were just a crazy person. Tell
2: us about yeah. <laughs> what? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for some reason. Uh, well, I mean, seen, really, 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 well, yeah, that's my thing, too. Well, I was here, but I wanted to get out of here, too. Uh, I, I oh, well, here's the ba- Here's the meta. I was in, I joined the Peace Corps. And I didn't realize many things about what that would be like here in the selection process, not in Thailand, where I thought I would be going. And, uh, you know, I just didn't fit class wise. There was a lot of shit. So I felt cheated and wanted to still travel. And, uh, you know, I came across this uh, organization called International Voluntary Services. It was like a private police, uh, police, private peace corps, except people came from all over the world. They had been in Vietnam, kind of Quaker based. And I, I came to my attention and I checked it out and uh, got selected to go. And so I spent two years in uh, in South Vietnam. Uh, we couldn't go north. Uh, t- mostly teaching school up and around uh, at, you know non-military. And again, that was another transformative another transformative experience because you know, I, I guess you can't say this on TV, but I didn't know mm, nothing. And I thought I did. I thought I was very sophisticated and uh, I learned I learned a lot and unfortunately at the expense of many people, Still have my Vietnamese friends and contacts and even some of the students who confirmed that I was especially bossy and they resent the fact that I taught them with a New Jersey accent. Uh, <laughs> but you got caught People now the- judge them.
1: <laughs> yeah, and before we go to, we're going to take a quick break in a second, but just quickly, uh, Tom, you got caught in the Tet Offensive. <laughs>
0: you
2: <Yes. laughs> Did you take a wrong turn or something? I did take a wrong turn. <laughs> yeah. And then you came year. back. Huh? And then you didn't uh, leave after no, that. No, no. Uh, you know, by that time I'd been here a year, and <laughs> it, it just there was too much bonding that I had done, and you know, so we didn't expect uh, the war to end right away. But we didn't expect what was called the Tet Offensive, where North Vietnamese did a really a good yeah. job of invading and stealth, and you know, the country itself was at civil war. It's very, very yeah. Very tragic, yeah. And, well, we're
0: um, we're going to take a break, and we're when, okay. we'll, when we come back, we're going to go to the post-war period. Uh, we're talking with San Francisco former San Francisco Assemblyman Tom Amiano. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. We're delighted to have with us today somebody who is a gay pioneer of sorts, former Assemblyman Tom Amiano, His memoir is titled Kiss My Gay Ass. Yes, that's the title of it. That's a quote. And uh, he's let's... shocked. He's shocked by
1: his own title. <laughs> let's
0: um, let's jump ahead a bit to 1978. So you're in San Francisco. You survived the Vietnam War, um, yeah. And uh, you are teaching in uh, public schools in San Francisco. And this ballot measure. Well, first of all, we should say that uh, Harvey Milk is uh, elected. He's on the board of supervisors. Yeah. And. Um, you uh, encountered this the briggs initiative which was put on the ballot uh, and it would have banned people like you gay openly gay teachers from teaching um wh- what did you make of that at that time and what it meant for you potentially
2: well it was it was kaleidoscopic because uh, interestingly enough here in san francisco we had through demonstration and all that got the school board to include sexual orientation in their non discrimination clause. So that sounds like word salad, but it was really a good thing. And then uh, basically, gay teachers would be protected. Uh, but out of the blue came a guy who, ironically, talk about tautological, was in the state uh, legislature, uh, like I was a little bit later. And uh, he, he his name was Briggs. And, you know, he was a little uh, Meshuggah uh and he he had what the, a lot of the uh right wing people have today the proud boys and all that he had this vocabulary and um so he decided that teachers uh could not be gay if they taught and uh, also if you knew a gay teacher you could be fired how do you like that apples so uh, this then carried through to a statewide uh initiative and, and uh, harvey and sally gearhart were extremely uh, uh, excellent spokespeople. They had dignity, they had humor, and of course, coor- uh, he was very Elmer Fudsy, you know, but they're still, you know, still dangerous. I, I always, no matter how out there they are. And, you know, no faxes, no social media, no internet. So everything was done by phone. We thought we were gonna lose. And then well, we, uh, that uh, ballot measure got defeated two to one. And um, you know, I had been uh, working in the LGBT community. I I knew uh, Harvey. For I lived on Sixteenth and uh, watched him campaign and be a really great, um, great leader with a lot of. I always called him the Jewish Calvary. You know, it's just when things got bad, he he would step in. Um, so you know, that that's what transpired. Uh, yeah. I always say, uh, when people say, well, what, uh, you know, when you're elected, what do you do? And I said, well, you got to keep yourself informed. And I was informed by the activism. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: that's a really big theme in this book, Tom, is how much you, even when you were inside the system, saw yourself as driven by activism, not not necessarily being a politician. Um, I, but I also want to ask you about something else, which is, they didn't let you be a media spokesman for that campaign they felt like you were too gay and you and, and i you... know imagine that <laughs> imagine tom amiana too gay but but this is kind of a theme throughout the book too where even in san francisco when you were fighting for more recognition for gay teachers for more rights here in a city that we now think of as you know the the sort of center yeah. of all of that You talk about so many people even people within the gay community fighting against you this internalized homophobia talk about that and and do you feel like that's changed in the gay community as um, things have gotten you know less oppressive essentially yeah Uh,
2: i'll I'll say this it's gotten better uh and we still have a way to go you know i think the class issues uh we haven't addressed i mean um you know you uh, would accomplish something legislatively you know, uh, gay marriage or or uh, whatever the legislation was. But you know, when you looked at it, it really only benefited the LGBTs that were kind of at the top of the heap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we didn't. It, it, it took a while to do that. Yeah, and you know, that's how I was the most comfortable because I came from that activist uh, background. And but you know, I had also remained a teacher. And uh, you know had a relationship and all that, so uh, you know you you can make it work. And uh, what I saw at City Hall, even with the other gay ones, was people weren't addressing AIDS in the way that they could, you know. Um, and so right away, I just opened the doors. I wouldn't have been uh, comfortable any other way. Yeah. And uh, you might say stupidly, blindly stepped into a lot of landmines. <laughs> just yeah, a well, few and, just you know, a you, few but you put yourself oh, no, you put like,
0: yourself out there and you know you oh ran ultimately God. you ran for the school board I think twice you didn't get elected then finally you did get elected you got elected yeah. in 1990 fast forward you get elected to the board of supervisors uh, become president of the Board of Supervisors, re-elected, and as you point out, you got more votes in your re-election than Gavin Newsom did, who was on the Board of Supervisors. Mighty
2: Mouse will save the day!
0: <laughs> <laughs> but then you run, you wage this write-in campaign, which I remember so well, against um, uh, Willie Brown, you, uh, which no one thought was even possible, uh, that you could wage a, a write-in campaign, but you, you did, and you came in second, and you got into the runoff with him. Talk about that whole process, and running against, you know, the mighty Willie Brown with a whole lot less money and and everything else just really an excitement in among people it was people power really
2: it was and you know uh, uh, there was a lot of adrenaline uh, trust me um i didn't really i think it would would, would grow the way it grew um because i've you know i'm not gonna go into it now but you know i felt i had some uh and some of my constituent legitimate uh you know beeps with administration and willie brown i mean you know in a way that's uh, the way it's been for a long time. But um, I did, you know, I think the teaching background and, of course, stand-up, you know, it's the kind of a blood sport, stand-up like politics. So um, I just felt more comfortable listening to people who felt they had been shut out. It didn't make me Mother Teresa. It was just a very simple thing of an open door. And then, uh, you know, once people saw that they had a, a voice or, a you know, an ear at City Hall, um, things started to pop. And um, I got a little fed up by the uh, end of the first term about how slow things went and people undermining and egos and uh, just decided to go for it. And I I wanted district elections to come back. So I knew that um, uh, what happened in this challenge as unusual as it was, could really uh, help set the stage for district elections because I knew Willie hated it. They all did. They all hated it, yeah.
1: Well, spoiler it alert. You won. lost spoiler alert. You lost the mayoral race, but you <laughs> did go on to Sacramento. And when I was a Chronicle reporter up there, my desk was directly behind you. And oh, I believe it trouble. may have been Speaker John Perez who sat you next to a pretty conservative Republican, perhaps yes. as a bit of a joke. But I want to ask you about this because I was always surprised at actually how well you handled and, and the relationships you built with people across the island sac and You talk in the book you have this quote always in politics i would have something funny to say mostly people would appreciate it when you're serious you're serious but comedy can be very a positive force using humor to illustrate serious political issues isn't trivializing it's humanizing um is that kind of your political model like is this how you have used uh been able to maybe bridge you know gaps with people that are opposed to
2: everything including your life (laughs) Uh, yeah I you know again the, the, the stream of consciousness you know um, none, none of this was is ever planned or uh, thought of ahead you know um, I do like interacting with people especially if they don't want to you know kill me uh, <laughs> and Sacramento was so different and there was real Republicans there and people with real, different life stories and then there was the dodginess. I was called a constipation of trying to get things done and all these uh, honorifics. And uh, one time I was on the floor and there was a guy who was actually a minuteman. I mean, a, re- a real minuteman, you know, from that militia group. And uh, I used to say in his side, that's what his wife called him. But he used to he used to <laughs> t- try to take me on on the floor, and uh, w- he would stand up and he would take great umbrage and offense at... Uh, the San Francisco representative, you're not supposed to say the person's name. Who else represented San Francisco? San Francisco's representative uh, and, and uh, his sexual preference, sexual preference, sexual. So uh, one time he did his little diatribe, and I, saw him, I said, Look, I, I'd i like to teach everybody, uh, you know, my sexual orientation is gay, my sexual preference is Brad Pitt. <laughs> so <laughs> in And uh, where's my husband? Oh, I only joke. Uh, So, uh, I think that's a good example. Yeah. And I didn't plan that. But you know, I think that's that training from being on stage and hoping to God that you know people don't kick you off the stage. You know. Yeah.
0: Well, we're a little short on time, but I want to ask you come back to what's happening in the city now. And uh, some of it, you know, links back, uh, thinking about your write-in campaign against Willie Brown. You know, a lot of his protégés were in city government, and now we've got an FBI investigation. Mohamed Nuru, who was the head yeah. of the DPW, uh, uh, you know, stepped down. There's other department heads stepped down. What, what do you make of that, you know, that kind of pay-to-play culture and the allegations that have been lodged i mean yeah. did you
2: see that when you were in city government and what do you make oh i sure smelt it and um also if you weren't uh a willie Brand, uh, willie brown uh, uh fan panty waste remember he he called the supervisor panty waste i said you get mr panty waste to you <laughs> um you didn't get services you know nuru i uh, w- there was fire danger in bernal marissa and he wouldn't cut it, and uh, so you learn how to get around it. And you, you know, you try to do legislative things, uh, uh, you know, for transparency. And uh, we we did get some success. We got the ethics commission put on. That was Kevin Shelley. Um, so there were uh, campaign reform, district elections, you know, a type of campaign reform. And I mean, the big clue was all the, well, the establishment uh, Dems were against it. So I mean, I told you something because everybody wants to cover their ass, you know, uh, back East, they have this term called honest graft. So it's kind of this, you know, shrug, you know, my cousin Pasquale, he can get like this permit, but he needs like 50 bucks from you, you know. um, uh, So some people's approach to what is happening now is that in fact, I think uh, Willie Brown wrote a column that kind of reflected that and uh, you know, I'm not saying it's not real in 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 some respects, but I'm also saying there got to be a line, and uh, there is too much complicity, right. uh, and I think we've all been uh, guilty of that. So, and I'm, this is a PSA. Uh, oh.
0: We are out of time, uh, Tom Ammiano, but want to thank you for coming on and also for yeah. just your life of public service uh, and everything you've done for the people of California. Thank you so much.
2: Okay, and. Uh, KissMyAss.com. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: All right. Remember it. You heard it here first. Bye. All right. Bye. That does it for today's political breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio.
1: I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos.
0: And I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. Stay safe, everybody. Happy holidays.